Welcome to season two of Shelving Cart. I'm Sarah. And I'm Teddy. And we're both librarians here to have a podcast book club with each other and all of you. On Shelving Cart, we talk about books like it's a one-hour book club meeting. So we talk about likes, dislikes, reviews, general feelings, and more. And generally completely spoil the book, so be warned. Season two of Shelving Cart is all about all things horror. Join us as we discuss 10 horror books from different genres or subgenres, times, authors, and styles. Today, we will be discussing the cult classic, House of Leaves, by Mark Z. Danielewski. As a disclaimer, we are not experts on this topic. There are people (laughs) out there who are much more experts. All right, listen, this is, if you are a House of Leaves super fan, I feel like this episode of this podcast will probably make you really mad because we are are novices, all right? Yeah, we're just Just dipping a toe in. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> right. On the other hand, if you've like heard of House of Leaves and you're like, hmm, interesting, I'd like to hear a little more about that, then you're in the right place. Absolutely. Exactly. 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 So, Teddy, you suggested this book. What was your like pre relationship with the book? Who recommended it to you? Why did you want us to read it on the podcast? So valid. Okay. It's so funny because I do remember who recommended this book to me, even though it happened in high school. It was skinny little teenage boy who obviously I was in love with named Jonah, who was like, yeah, this is like, he was very serious. He was like, this book is a piece of art. Like this is the most serious book ever. Um, It's amazing. And then I just kept that in my back pocket for like years at some point. And this is pretty freaky. I acquired a copy of it and I don't know how. (laughs) Um, so we'll discuss more about the book and you'll put together why that's freaky but like right I have no idea where my copy of it came from and then it just sat on my shelf and like occasionally I would sort of thumb through it it's like a really interesting book to sort of like do that thing where you like flip all the pages because and we'll talk about this also like the formatting of the book is like insane and then I just like hung out with it on my shelf for many years and I would hear whispers of it like it's a it's it's out there like people talk about this book when they talk about horror literature and I just sort of figured it was time for both of us to really experience this thing that's like incredibly famous had you heard of it before I was like we need to read this no nope nope that's wild sorry but I'm not so I guess like the the whole thing with the horror season is I am not um, an active horror reader. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've probably read like five horror books over the past five years. So, Whoa. you that's know, one a year. That's yeah, pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah, the one out one a year. So I think it's like a little out of my wheelhouse. Yeah. So I'm not like look, going out of my way looking for it. So yeah, I hadn't I hadn't heard of it, which is silly now knowing how popular. When you say cult classic, like this is the definition of a cult yeah. classic like yeah she's the archetype well ted do you want to tell us some background info on mark z danielewski for sure okay so he's such an interesting guy okay so he was born in new york city his dad tad was a polish avant-garde film director which tracks completely like it makes so much sense so the family moved around pretty continuously um, throughout his childhood he lived in six different countries including but not limited to ghana india spain and switzerland Um, but he went to high school in utah which surely added its own unique flavor to mark in 1985 
Daniel was 19 and he visited his half brother in Paris and he started writing on a typewriter. And I think that that's part of like where the typography stuff comes in. He worked on a story called Where the Tigers Dance, but says it was so unfinished that I like didn't even deserve to be called incomplete. He was just sort of like futzing. So then he went to Yale and got a degree in English literature, as you know, people are wont to do. It feels kind of normy for him, to be honest, to go to Yale, but that's fine. And then after graduating, he took an intensive Latin course at UC Berkeley, which is where all the Latin comes from in this fucking book. Um, And he studied at the USC School of Cinema slash Television in LA. Uh, And then like they accept like 10 people a year to that program. Oh, Sarah coming in hot with the background info. Uh, (laughs) I thought that that sounded like kind of community college-y as a time. USC? Yeah, no. University of Southern California, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. (laughs) I'm on the up and up. Um, I think, right? Yeah, that makes sense. uh, I think Olivia Rodrigo's going there right now, and people were like, it's not casual. Like, USC is extremely hard to get into. Just fun fact. Anyway. I love that. Keep it it moving. (laughs) No, no, no. That makes sense, though, because during that time, he worked on a documentary about the literary critic and philosopher Jacques Derrida, and you can see him in a couple of setup shots shots like adjusting Jacques microphone and shit which yeah why would Derrida be like yeah I'll be in a dumb little thing yeah it makes sense so in 1993 he graduated from there with his MFA and his dad died and he came up with the idea for House of Leaves and by what I mean what I mean by that is that he came to this vision of a house that was bigger on the inside that's what he had at that point he was watching Doctor Who. Exactly. Well, okay. Yes, we will talk about the TARDIS in relation to House of Leaves. <laughs> Basically, he says that he got the call about his father dying in the hospital and wrote about 100 pages of a piece called Redwood on the way to the hospital. And he intended to give it as a gift to his dying dad. And then his dad was like, you should find work at the post office. <laughs> um brutal so holy shit right so mark tore up redwood and threw it in a dumpster and then his sister god bless sisters found the scraps and taped them all back together so we'll come back to that also so that project became house of leaves over the course of 10 years between 1993 and 1999 mark worked as a tutor a barista a plumber and he wrote the book Small sections of the book were downloadable off the internet before the release of the book in February 2000. So this is like early internet. We're still web 1.0, but you could get cult access to House of Leaves, like parts of the book, similarly to like parts of the Navidson record being released before the rest of the thing, right? We'll get there. You could download bits of House of Leaves. Um, And these circulated, but it's hard to tell where or through whom, right? When it was finally published... House of Leaves won the New York Public Library's Young Lions Fiction Award, which is cool, um, and had a pretty fucking considerable cult cult following already. Um, It's been translated into a ton of languages, like dozens, um, which is wild. Uh, So Mark calls his signature style of like page layout slash like what the fuck he's doing sign iconic which is sometimes also known as visual writing. So basically what this means is that the typographical layout corresponds directly at any given narratological point in time to the physical space of the fictional world, as well as the physical space of the page and the reader and like the reader's feelings. (laughs) So there's a lot going on. 
Mark collaborated with his sister Poe on her album Haunted, which is in conversation with the book. And then they toured Borders, books, and music locations all across America, what an era, uh, (laughs) together to promote the book and album. And the album includes Mark reading from the book. They were the opening act for Depeche Mode's 2001 tour for one leg of it, which is wild. And in 2010, Depeche Mode, are you fucking kidding me? Okay, so in 2010, Mark made a group of translators, researchers, graphic designers, professors, and various other professionals who work directly with him on various aspects of his work, right? Like House of Leaves is not his only book. And this like group sort of functions like an artistic studio with apprentice artists assisting a master artist as they work on their own endeavors. And they call themselves Atelier Z which is wild. Um, he's really breaking open the concept of what it fucking means to write a book. God bless. Um, and Atelier Z have been credited on Daniel Lewski's books since 2012. And in 2015, they released a collection called Yarn and Ink, which includes official House of Leaves merch. It includes <laughs> House of Leaves apparel. In 2018, Mark put out a TV pilot script for the novel on Facebook. It hasn't gone anywhere, but we can all dream, right? And... I'll wrap up by saying that Mark is also a cat lover and especially loves Devin Rex cats, which are those weird ones that look kind of patchy. Yeah. And you can look at his Wikipedia picture for more information on that. And also the scary picture. Yes, the scary picture. He's like wearing like a t-shirt with a cat on it and a fedora. And a, and a fedora yeah. that I sent to Teddy after finishing the book and said, this is my new sleep paralysis demon. <laughs> It is fully Mark Z. Danielewski yeah. in like 2009 wearing the most 2009 outfit. The fedora really fucking killed me. I like couldn't get over it. <laughs> like that's the guy, you know. <laughs> that's the guy. That's our man. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's the guy. Well, thank you for that beautiful summary yeah. and information on his life. For sure. I'm just fascinated by him. I think he has a very unique mind. Right. And that was clear from reading the book. And it's also clear from his like little biography. But I think it would be helpful for us to get some more context of like what the fuck this book actually is. So I'm hoping that you will read us the book jacket and some reviews. Years ago, when House of Leaves was first being passed around, it was nothing more than a badly bundled heap of papers, parts of which could would occasionally surface on the Internet. No one could have anticipated the small but devoted following this terrifying story would soon command. Starting with an odd assortment of marginalized youth, musicians, tattoo artists, programmers, strippers, environmentalists, and adrenaline junkies, the book eventually made its way into the hands of older generations who had not only found themselves in those strangely arranged pages, but also discovered a way back into the lives of their estranged children. Now for the first time, this astonishing novel is made available in book form, complete with the original colored words, vertical footnotes, and newly added second and third appendices. The story remains unchanged, focusing on a young family that moves into a small home on Ashtree Lane where they discover something terribly wrong. Their house is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Of course, neither Pulitzer Prize-winning photojournalist Will Will Navidson nor his companion Karen Green was prepared to face the consequences of that impossibility until the day their two children wandered off and their voices eerily began to return another story of creature darkness, of an ever-growing abyss behind a closet door, and of that unholy growl, which soon enough would tear through their walls and consume all of their dreams. Already we're dealing with so many fucking narrative frames. I know. <laughs> Nonsense, really, when you read that and you have not read the book. <laughs> um, so uh, the only reviews really I have on the back are 
the very literary ones because mm-hmm. this is like a new edition of the book so they're all like full just giving the laurels yeah. you know New York Times book review said funny movie <laughs> funny movie funny movie <laughs> uh, New York Times book review said funny moving sexy beautifully told and an elaborate engagement with the shape and meaning of narrative I take and issue then, with the word sexy yeah I don't know about that and then you know, this one, the San Diego Union Tribune really had big words to say here. <laughs> like Melville's Moby Dick, Joyce's Ulysses, and Nabokov's Pale Fire, Daniel Lewski's House of Leaves is grandly ambitious, multi-layered work that simply knocks your socks off with its vast scope, erudition, formal inventiveness, and sheer storytelling skills. Yoink. Yeah. Ulysses, really? That's, yes. That's bonk. And Moby Dick. And Moby Dick, <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I mean, people like it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's one of those books that's pretty interesting. Some opening thoughts on horror as we, like, embark on our horror season. Nobody takes horror seriously, right? Like, it is often considered to be a schlock genre. I think that that is changing, right? Both in, like, the film scene and in the book scene, right? I think similarly to sci-fi and fantasy in a lot of ways which is interesting that this is sort of our follow-up season to our sci-fi and fantasy season like horror really started as a schlock genre where you would get like mass market paperback schlock it's so wild to me that house of leaves somehow manages to appeal to both like creepy punks and skinny teenage boys and people who call it moby dick ulysses and whatever the Nabokov book was like white fire or whatever. So it's interesting that it hits all of those places. Um, Highbrow, lowbrow, you know, we're getting right into it. Do you want to hear some Goodreads reviews? Because let's, let's hear what the fucking public had to say. As per usual, we will be checking in with Lucy Dacus. Lucy Dacus gave it five stars on Goodreads. It does have an average rating of 4.09, which- Yes, it's really high on Goodreads. That's very popular. It has like 135,000 ratings on Goodreads or something like that. Yeah, it's bonk. So it's doing very well. I will say that like people feel strongly about it, right? Like most people gave it a five-star review. Not a lot of people gave it a one-star proportionally, but those people had a lot to talk about with it. We are going to talk about the framing and lore of this story probably kind of a lot in this episode. But one important thing to know before we get into like the good reads of it all is that one of the parts of the narrative frame that like serves the overall terror of this book is that um, it's like implied that you as the reader will become haunted by the book for reading it. One of the main characters sort of descends into madness as the result of interacting with this book on a daily basis. And like the implication is that like if you start making notes, if you start tracking shit, like beware, you're close to being haunted, right? So this five star review comes from Jake, who says... I was an RA my junior year and senior years of college, and one year I had a good friend of mine living in the building, and upon one of her visits to my room, I put House of Leaves in her hand, telling her that she should read it. A couple of days later, I was in my room, awake at some unholy hour, and there's a knock at my door. And as an RA, this is rather an unsettling experience. 
on the other side of the door could be a drug overdose, suicide attempt, food poisoning, or any other host of problems that were warned about as RAs. So I sort of tentatively open the door and I'm relieved to find that it is not some horrific medical emergency, but simply my friend, except she looks haggard. Her hair is unkempt. There are bags under her eyes and she is slouched sort of forward, breaking her usually quite nice posture. I'm loving the world building of this review, right? Um, and... In her hand is the house of leaves. We stand there silently measuring each other up. And then my friend throws the book at me and walks away. That's pretty unusual for this friend of mine. So I ask about it later. Um, And when I call her up and ask her what exactly was the deal, she says, I hadn't slept in two days. That book kept me awake. I couldn't finish it. I couldn't sleep with it in the room. I had to get rid of it. That book fucked me up. To this day, she still can't bring herself to finish reading it. Um, so, like, that's the sort of, like, people attribute, like, strong emotional responses to this book in a way that I feel like is deeply tied to the way that it's set up. And, like, that feeling of being, like, it's real. People are getting haunted by this by these words, right, is, like, a big part of how people read Blair Witch it. Project. Someone did it call all. it in the, I think I have, maybe I didn't copy that book but people were like this is the Blair Witch Project of literature yeah yeah um and it kind of that. is right like we can get into that too um uh, yeah definitely I have a I have to circle around to a funny Blair Witch Project story for you that I have okay great I also have a funny Blair Witch Project story so we can really get into it um <laughs> yeah so Will Wheaton who's an author okay he's okay he's famous I think um uh he, yeah yeah he, yeah he's an idiot the actor Oh no, maybe. I don't know. He's an he's famous and he's an author, but he might also be an actor. It's spelled W I L Wheaton. Yes, that he he is from he is in Star Trek. Oh right. Okay, so Will Wheaton. Yes, wrote, and he's also a writer. Perfect. Um, Will wrote a review, also five stars, that says, it makes you work and what you get out of it depends largely on how much work you're willing to do, which I think is fair. Let's get into the one-star reviews. Sarah Brown, also an author, she wrote, toe-curlingly embarrassing teenage stories, love letters, and bad poetry, (laughs) gave it one star, and she said, totally infuriating. It made me feel dumb, bored, and annoyed all at once. If I wanted that, I'd date my first boyfriend again. (laughs) <laughs> so that was good um, pop off sarah <laughs> and then yeah and then um anonymous also wrote a one-star review that said i was never scared but rather annoyed nothing seems to happen and as soon as the story begins to move we get a long-winded worthless conversation from our main character mm-hmm. we can talk yeah. about pacing <laughs> yeah we'll get i there. mean we have to i'm not i'm not <laughs> listen I disagree with the one star, but I'm not mad about that particular critique. Um, (laughs) And then I figured it would be good to throw in like somebody who felt middling about it. Um, So Paul, who gave it three stars, said it's like one of those very psychedelic albums from the late 60s where they do all those funny stereo effects and all that phasing or whatever it was called. All great fun, but you still have to have good songs. That's kind of a sick burn, Paul. That is. It is. It's just, it's funny because this is so, to me, this book is like so post. Like, I don't know how to explain it. 
like post hardcore post modernism post it's like very much it's the 90s everything is post something you know yeah everything is post something like that's a i kind of yeah it's like post punk post yeah yes incredible actually including what the depeche mode opening on stage for them yeah yeah (laughs) well mark danielewski reads chapters of the book and his sister plays good music (laughs) um oh boy okay so should we like set up what the fuck this book is yes yes i wrote down the frame story to explain it assuming all things are face value like assuming that the information that you're being given is honest the story of house of leaves in the smallest summary of all time is that our main character johnny truant finds a manuscript for a book written by a man named zampano um and zampano's book is about the navidson record a documentary film where will navidson his brother a group of explorers etc go into the liminal space of a mysterious never-ending hallway that spawns inside of will navidson's home we are theoretically reading the the like a like academic analysis of the navidson record with um with notes footnotes from zampano himself johnny and then mysterious editors of the book that are adding their stories in so johnny's especially we get like very long stories that are like the parallel story to the the navidson record story itself and then um a crucial part of the the story is that we have additional letters from johnny's mother while she is institutionalized (laughs) that the editors the editors added it they like so that's like it in the appendix to basically be like hey if you don't believe don't believe anything this johnny guy has to say check out what was wrong with his mom like that's what it, the footnote basically said right right um so that's like assuming all things are face value now this is not a book where things are face value for sure but that is like the frame of it all and then the additional frame that you mentioned teddy where it's also like and you will get haunted by this so there's a lot of fourth wall breaks where you are part of the story too i would like to take a brief mo to discuss the bones of how the book is fucking set up (laughs) because it's like um depending on like how you're feeling and what kind of reader you are you might be like Mm -hmm. fuck you this is try hard shit or you might be like oh my god sarah i saw that face we're getting into it. I can tell already. Okay, so you might be like, fuck you, this is try hard shit. Or you might be like, oh my god, this is a work of artistic genius. So, yeah. <laughs> we're on two different sides of this debate, and we can tell based on what our eyeballs are doing. So, basically, right, like, this book was really interesting for me because I fucking hate reading theory. I have friends who are like, I love to read the queer art of failure. And I'm like, Mm, like i can't be doing that like thank you yeah um and this book is set up like zampano's notes are you know pronunciation to be determined yeah. right are like very the notes his writing 
is in essentially a, a film critique like it's li- it's like an academic journal it's film it's theory form- it, yeah it's formatted like an academic journal right article you do kind of have but that's also where you get the meat of the story about what happens in this fucking house so like you have to like sort of sort sift through like academic jargon yeah you have to l- read a whole chapter about echoes the echo chapter fucking got me but it was slow reading and it was insane and i was like really annoyed and i complained to somebody about it and then they were like yeah that's the hardest part to get through but then it came back in a lot of important ways so it was good yeah. to read but it's a pain yeah. it's a slog parts of it are film theory slog that you just sort of have to get through there was a chapter at the end that was worse. I forget what it was. That was also just about some sort of... Oh, the the chapter... We'll get into it. The chapter about the made-up theories about why Will goes back to the house was way worse than the Echo chapter. The dream analysis chapter fucking sucked. I was really not into that. But, right, it's the, the theory part. So, like any academic journal, right, there are footnotes. The footnotes are... Basically just like a totally interdisciplinary approach to like film analysis, right? Like there are all these footnotes for like things about literature and things about like the general like psychology of space and like whatever the fuck. But there are also like random footnotes that don't make sense. Like so the thing is, is like you could be like that looks like an academic footnote and I'm not going to read it. Which is a valid approach. I would sometimes skim all the footnotes in advance and be like, do I actually need to stop and check what these say? Um, But sometimes you get like weird little gems. There's one footnote where he quotes an article from like Home and Garden. (laughs) But it's like presumably an article about the Navidson record. So they're like very, you have to pay attention to the footnotes at least a little bit. Because some of them don't make sense and are funny. Um, the other thing about it is that um, the footnotes change shape. So there are different type fonts for the editors, for Johnny, and for Zampano, right? That's fine. Whatever. But, oh, I found the note where I was convinced that Tom was Zampano. But that was before Zampano. No, before Tom died. So that was a little fucked up. Uh, spoilers, we warned you. Um there's a whole thing where Zampano um, wants to talk about the Minotaur, but then decides not to do that. So all of the Minotaur references are crossed out and in red. And then there's this really horrible part where like you're starting to get into the story of the book where you're like, fuck, this house is haunted. And like you're reading a lot about like space and the space of the house and like what it means to inhabit a space, what's at the center of a space, all this junk. And a blue, oh, the word house is always in blue. No matter what, no matter what language it's in, no matter if it's like part of another word, the word house is always in blue. And then at some point in the middle of the book, there shows up this blue box in the middle of the page. And on odd pages, it's like listing parts of what goes into a house, like the physical things. Like, what kind of pipe carries what? You know what I mean? Like, and it's just like this really extensive list and it's kind of horrifying. And on the odd pages, it's normal, except that it's in the middle of the page and in a blue box. And then on the even pages, when you turn the page over, 
it's just the mirror image of what was on the page before in that box. So it gives this illusion of like paper cut out, like just like depth. You're descending into the house as the Navidsons are descending. Like it's all of this is to say it's very bizarre. At some points you have to turn the book upside down to read things. Um, there's one page, pages 478 and 479. That's just four bars, three bars of music, like written music, like a treble clef is there. Yeah, it's just like the typography of it is like a whole thing. And that's what we mean when we say sign iconic is like that this book makes you work. You've got to turn it upside down. Kind of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Which Sarah loved and didn't complain about at all. Do you want me to run through our characters real quick? Yeah. I'm saying Zampano because I live in Massachusetts. So Good for you. Yeah. Get that Boston accent out. I'm saying Zampano. Yeah. He is uh, the ostensibly like the author of the House of Leaves like narrative. And he is the old man. He's an old man who was living in um, another character's apartment complex. Um, he's blind. He dies at the beginning. He wrote House of Leaves and the academic text and most of the footnotes. We have Johnny Truant, uh, Truant rather Johnny Truant, who is the finder of House of Leaves, and his story is interwoven through the footnotes and introductions. He is a tattoo apprentice at the beginning, and he is just going through it. He's dealing with a lot. Um, then we have Pelafina H. Leave. Johnny's theoretical mother, who we only get her through letters in the book, which where she is institutionalized for her mental health. It's like full psychosis. Right? Yeah, full psychosis. Yes. Um, and then we have Lude, um, spelled L-U-D-E, but is a, a homophone for uh, Lude, like W L E W D. He's Johnny's friend who uh, Zampano... <laughs> lived in uh lude's apartment complex um lots of people on the forums thinks that lude is non-existent he is not real he's a figment of the imagination um he just pops up a lot trying to get johnny out of the house to go do drugs basically um and hook up with ladies um and then we have the navidsons um we have will navidson um his uh not they're not married right not until the end the his not married partner karen green and their kids. Uh, Will is a Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalist who um, took a fictionalized version of a very famous photo and won um, the Pulitzer Prize for a picture of a Sudanese girl starving. And instead of feeding her, she dies right after the picture is taken. The Navidsons, they move into a house um, where the inside is bigger than the outside. Um, a dark person, like, mysterious closet appears and then a dark black hallway appears in their home karen does not like the exploration because the reason they moved into this house is to get peace and quiet and time together will and karen um in the first time but the the how the the hallway and the exploration basically causes that separation anyway we get tom davidson um will's fraternal twin brother he's from lowell mass but he comes to help him Help his brother out with their the whole situation. In a true um, Lowell, is, Massachusetts contractor attitude, too. He's like, Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, he deals with all of his fear via humor. I love Tom. He's a king. He's an icon. Um, I loved him. Anytime Tom was on the page, I was like, I'm into yeah, it. For sure. Shout out to Tom, my Massachusetts king. Um, and then we have Billy Reston. Um, who's like basically a professional explorer. He's a professor. He has done other explorations with Will before. They're friends. Um, 
part of Billy is that he's also a wheelchair user. So like in the exploration, the wheelchair is very much a part of it. Um, and then we have Holloway, Jed, and Wax, which is an explorer team where Holloway is the leader and then Jed and Wax are his minions, basically. And they lead a lot of the main explorations in the book, um, but that devolves where Holloway ends up um, going into psychosis while in the in the hallway. Holloway loses his mind, basically. Um, and that's the basic rundown of our most important characters. There's a lot of women in this book that um, Johnny has sex with, um, but they basically don't matter. It's annoying. <laughs> in the narrative. Yeah. It's like yeah. he's obsessed with this yeah. exotic dancer named that he names based on a tattoo that she has Thumper, like the bunny from Bambi. Um, and she's like arguably the most important woman, and we just don't know anything about her. So, and then also what's interesting about it. I added this last second um, is like in the lore building of the universe, right? Like Zompano is working on this treatise on the Navitson record, which he's treating like it does exist, but it doesn't exist. And also he's blind. So he couldn't have seen it even if it did exist. And then we get all of these like random interviews that either Zompano does or Karen Green does with famous people, including like Stephen King, Ayn Rand, like just these random people that have shit to say about the- Anne Rice. Yes. Yes. About like, about, maybe I, maybe I mean Anne Rice and not Ayn Rand. Yeah, I think so. Um, It's all the same to me. Um, Um, Okay. (laughs) I think you have to redact that. Redact it. (laughs) Um, but like they show up all the time as like interviewees or whatever and it's like so they just sort of show up but like the thing is is like they're all fictionalized and you know that but like maybe they're not like it's just this whole thing so also there's like this real connection through characters that you've heard of um appearing in this text uh as like literary critics or like commentators or like people who have verified and engaged with the existence of the Navidson record. So as you might expect, this book hit the internet quite hard, right? Like people have so much to say about House of Leaves. Um, And um, it, (laughs) sorry, I'm looking at Sarah's notes. Sarah, would you like to share the thing that you have about the construction of the book oh yes um the book itself uh the front cover is one fourth of an inch shorter than the rest of the book so like if you were trying to use like the book jacket as your bookmark it does not work because the it's too short. yes and the reason that it's that's wild short. is because the house the house is one fourth of an inch shorter or it's like three sixteenth of, of an inch shorter on the outside than the inside and that's how we know that something is wrong so like yes the actual construction of the book is luring with you like the whole thing so yeah we took a look at like what people are fucking saying about house of leaves on the internet because people have a lot to say sarah do you want to like get into the cult following a little yeah so yeah the book has a cult following uh the subreddit um house of leaves has 17.k 
a 17 point K 17,000 members over like over 17,000 members, which is pretty high for subreddits. Um, it's in like the top, I think 5% of subreddit of like size of subreddits on Reddit. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot, it's very active. Like you can go on there and see like people posting like three hours ago. Like it's a very active um, subreddit on Goodreads. There's like a hun- there's 163 and 805 thousand, wait, 163,805 ratings on Goodreads. Um, Daniel Lewski's website has had a form on it basically since the book was published. Somebody was just posting on it like a week ago i think reddit is more active than that now a lot of the links on the forum on danielski's website are broken uh because it's just been up for so long that it has like a, a ton of broken links on the internet which is like a whole other different internet like problem and information security problem i added a note about uh, the reddit which yes. is very active yes still. um so yes one thing that's cute about the Reddit is that people are feeling so sincere, so genuine in their engagement in this book. Um, they like ask questions to help each other understand like what's going on in this book. And, you know, the, the comment sections are full of like genuine engagement. And somebody, I loved this comment that somebody left that says, I feel like Holloway needing there to be a reason behind it all getting lost in footnotes that lead to dead ends. Like that's fucking poetic. Like somebody really was like, I'm going to write a literary Reddit post and did. Um, And the thing is, is that they're not alone. They're just like not ashamed of their interests. People are engaging with this book in like a very sweet way that in turn, like it's freaky, but they were into it. There was a footnote that was talking about like a snuff film. And I looked it up because, you know, some of the things are real and some of the things are not real in the book. So I was like, what is that? Let me look it up. And it just brought me to um, a 10 year old Reddit thread that were in the sub in the subreddit for House of Leaves. That was all of these people like getting to that that one specific footnote and then Googling it and then realizing it's not real and then basically saying, yeah, I ended up year two and it was like people from like 10 years ago people from a year ago somebody from like a month ago and it was like everyone was on the same page so it's just very that like definitely is a real part of the book is being like what's this and then only finding the reddit forum which is like also very funny because it's like the state of what google is these days but also like you know there's like a very natural community that comes from the book because there's a lot of information in the book that you need to like if you're interested in it, you're going to go try to validate. So in looking, there's also, so in like the zeitgeist of all of the house of leaves, the house of leaves zeitgeist, as one might say, there's like a ton um, of different media that has been created for it. There's the, this is not for you podcast. There's the, the album that um, Daniel Lewski's sister made. I know Teddy has notes about, like somebody made it um, a Navidson a Navidson record trailer on YouTube. Um, there's a ton of things, but in going through the subreddit, I basically gathered that there are some ma- two main fan theories or beliefs, rather than necessarily even theories, about the book. All of that being that the frame story that is presented to you is not fact. The frame story is not actually real um 
being most importantly that Johnny Truant is not real. Um, so there's two main like kind of versions of that theory. And version one is that um, at the end of the book, there's a sequence. This is like the end end of the book. So if you have been with us and you're like, I don't mind about minor spoilers. If you care about like the last page of the narrative, like that's what I'm talking about right now. So, <laughs> so there is a baby that dies at the end of the book survives for about three days and then has no hope to live and is ends up dying in the hospital and people believe that johnny is actually the baby at the end of the book he would never grow up to be an adult he was only alive for three days um so zampano is johnny's father and pelafina is johnny's mother and she is like institutionalized via and like had gone through psychosis due to the death of her child and then this Zampano is like Johnny's father dealing with this. And that's what House of Leaves came from is like dealing with grief. At, you can definitely tell the book is a big, is a lot of it is dealing with grief. Um, if you're, if you go beyond the like complicated frames and everything, it's a book about grief to me, at least is how I read it. Um, so Zampano wrote the book completely, including Johnny's commentary. Um, also to go back to the grief thing, we do know that he started writing, Daniel Lucy started writing it after the death of his father. So, and there's a lot of signs pointing towards that. The main evidence for this theory though, is that, um, Pelfina in her, in her letters never actually remembers visits with Johnny. Um, she never really can remember that he's never like really real in her letters, the unreality of the whole book is also part of it. <laughs> like that fact that people hadn't heard of the Nav like the Navidson record, but then there's like these fake letters about it. It's like within the frame story is also the disbelief of the actual Navidson record, right? Um, then somebody on Reddit said as one of these, these evidence points are from Reddit. These are not my evidence points. These are from Reddit users. <laughs> Johnny has sex basically with only with people who help Zampano with the book, perhaps indicating that Zampano can only invent like these yeah. women in his mind when writing the book, you know? Um, my questions from about this theory, my personal questions then, would the letters to the editors be completely made up? Are the editors completely made up by Zampano? What about Johnny's father's death described by Pelafina? Would that make that Pelafina's letters also be made up? Or just the note that Johnny picked up her jewelry also made up. So like is that would mean like literally everything right. is made up. Letters, everything. Then there's version two, which is basically version one, but instead of Zampano writing it, it's Pelafina wrote the story, and that every part is fictionalized. Except for her. But Pelafina being Johnny's mother. So still Johnny's mother, still the mother of the baby who passed away at the beginning at the end of the book, but she invented everything that's it and so pretty much the same evidence as above but some of the uh on reddit somebody decoded some the odd capitalizations in her letters to be dear uh dear zampano who did you lose and there's a lot of references to like the blind man in the pelican poems um but it's basically the same exact questions comments concerns for me as the <laughs> above <laughs> above theory yeah. <laughs> um there's lots of variations of this theory, but basically they all distill down to Johnny Truant is not real. And 
and then everyone basically agrees that the Navisons in the house aren't real. Even in like the original frame story, that that part is completely fictionalized. Yes. So that's what I had, Teddy. Do yeah, you I take I it from there. <laughs> do you have questions, comments, concerns? Yeah, do you want to talk I mean, about like, that at okay, all before we? So true. I mean, like, if Zampano wrote the book, I he would have to write his own death in the book, and the fact is, Zampano's death, Zampano's death, whatever the fuck in the book, is like. It implies that he got got by the creature in the house, right? There's, like, gouges in the wood from, like, ethereal claws. Like, so that's interesting to me in terms of, like, Zompano writing his own death. I love the idea of Pelofina writing the whole thing because it would give one woman agency (laughs) in this entire book. Um, It would make one woman interesting. I think I'm ready to buy that theory that Pelofina wrote it. I am less, I feel like personally as a reader, I am less interested in the theorizing about who did what and what, like who's, what is the real of like Mark, Danielewski's intended, what's the like true plot of the book, you know, I'm much less interested in it, I think as a whole. And I think that that's part of what keeps people like cult like interest in the book. And I actually find that part not super engaging for me personally because i'm much more interested in like the themes of the story and like that that part of it um as opposed to like but what's what did danielewski really intend to be like who's the true author of the you know like the author of the author you know i find it like i i think people really like that part and good for them but it's not my favorite personally about it because you're never gonna know right. the answer there's no proof it's not like there's a secret answer right yeah and i think like whatever reading you have on it is probably valid which is what Danielewski intended like we know that johnny is an unreliable narrator and that i think is really the crux of it all is that we know he's unreliable so therefore whether he's real or not baby he's it doesn't really matter yeah yeah i think yeah i also took this book i was shocked by the number of because like i when i don't understand what's going on i'm just like great i'm vibing like i'm just gonna let the mood wash over me and that's how i got through this book so like looking at all the lore and shit i was like oh my god (laughs) yeah you guys have thought about this so much um like for me like okay so like palafina's letters show up in really interesting ways throughout the book both in johnny's footnotes and like edits that johnny presumably made like there's one letter where she says they're reading my mail write a check mark at the bottom of your letter if like you actually wrote it and then there's one page of the book that just has a random check mark at the bottom yeah and like so there are like these interesting easter eggs or like she'll be like i i'm so excited to be unhospitalized like please buy me suitcases in these particular colors and like those that's in her letter to johnny and then in zompano's writing he describes something with those three specific variations of purple or whatever the fuck and so like there are easter eggs and i'm like oh interesting that that showed up there but I'm not like, and this means blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm yes. just like, oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Huh. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I get, I feel that. Yeah. Too. yeah. So, like, that's sort of interesting to me. I did have 
so I um, had a coworker who I met recently and I told her that we were reading House of Leaves to this podcast and she went like this. <gasps> and I was like, oh my God, are you okay? And then she, we talked about it for a while. She like was like, I'm really into this book, whatever. And then she sent me an email a couple days later and was like, in case these are useful to you, like here are my notes. <laughs> and she had tracked, because the other thing is that the fucking footnotes usually go in numerical order but sometimes they're just like weird shapes <laughs> and like yeah well the labyrinth chapter they are endless right and connect ends Ugh. yeah no it's tough <laughs> um but like sometimes like the footnote itself is a weird shape i think at the end of the book if you look carefully at one of the collages the the there are like a series of footnotes that all look vaguely the same in like style and if you look at the collage on page 582 it's the first collage you find out that those are um ground air emergency code notes like that's like a signal language for airplane emergencies which like whatever johnny's dad was a pilot like the whole thing whatever um but then there are also just all these random symbols and she had like tracked where those symbols appear throughout the book and like sent me um like her notes on it was just so interesting like people really get into like the math of the book you know what i mean um and i just like was not like that wasn't the point for me but i also like really respect that that i was like okay sick like I'm, I think I'm just much more interested in the parallel story of, like, the Navidson record it, it's and Johnny, like, and them, those things going together. Sure. Like, as opposed to, like, what the actual relationship is between everyone. Yeah. Because I like that, like, you can see two clear, like, lines of, like, dealing with grief. Mm -hmm. Like... And the way that it is all-encompassing. And, like, at the end, I think we see Johnny go towards trying to find the that Navidson house. Mm -hmm. Like, hurtling towards, like, the grief that you cannot come back from. Yes. Or, like, you need to be saved from. Um, as, like, Karen saved Will. Mm -hmm. Right? And... I am just much more interested in that as he falls into kind of his own psychosis or his own grief and like can't get back from it. And then going and trying to find the house and actually like turning around and being like, I can't, I can't find this. I can't do this. And I find that much more interesting and like the interesting aspects of like when you find, when you're going through something any heavy emotion and you find a story that speaks to you about that thing how you can't let it go mm -hmm. which is like basically like what this book has done for people outside yeah. of it too it's like very meta yeah, yeah, in that sense yeah. i think because it prevent it presents you with like media and then it prevents you with a viewer and then you get to be like the viewer of a viewer viewing media um but yeah, I like that so much. I just like that more. Like, I like that concept yeah. more yeah, yeah, yeah. than anything else. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think, yeah, I I think that that's also, like, how I experienced this book in terms of, like, I was just gonna 
let it wash over me. And I also walked away with like a thing about grief. I think it's maybe hard for me to like connect with it that much because like checking my privilege, like I don't think I've ever experienced a grief like that. And so like for me, I'm a little like it's it's theoretical for me in a really interesting way. But what's interesting is that Mark has you covered if grief is theory to you because the whole book is fucking theory and like there's that sort of mask on it. It's true. I, I think, I think I, you know, I, I too have not experienced like a great loss in my life, but I think that it probably the reason it resonates, especially with teenagers, mm-hmm. like this book becomes like a high school obsession. Like that review that was like, I would go back and talk to my high school boyfriend mm-hmm. if I wanted to experience this again. It's because it's dealing with the type of like, it's, I think it does a good job of balancing like big grief, little grief, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, but to a teenager, like all grief is the same size, especially, you yes. know? And so like, so like getting broken up with losing a friend, but not because they passed away, but because you grew apart from each other, you know, like leaving behind your childhood. Like those are all griefs that we go through, even if you haven't like lost somebody very close to you due to death. You know, like, I think that that's probably why the book speaks to teenagers so much is because it's like, I think about last season when we talked about Ursula K. Le Guin just talking about writing books for teenagers. And she's like, well, teenagers read books because their lives depend on it. And that's what it gives me that vibe to it. Wow. That's so beautiful and smart. I cannot believe that you just said uh, when you're a teenager, all Greeks are the same size. That got me, man. That that did something for my inner child. I'll talk about that in therapy. That's that's wild. Um, yeah. Well, you don't you don't have any life behind yeah. you to yeah. like contextualize it. Yes, you know, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my god, amazing. Yeah. Um, I do want to add a couple of things to our lore discussion, and then we can move on. People are obsessed with the dedication page being just this is not for you. It's between the introduction and the start of the book. Theories basically include Johnny being an edgelord <laughs> and the intended reader being dead, which ties into the like Zampano or Pelafina wrote this book thing. Um, people love making fan films of the Navidson record. I think it begs for it. Let's be honest. This book is panting for someone to make a fan film of it. Um so someone, right, you mentioned someone made a trailer uh, for the Navidson record on YouTube. Their username is Your Street Serenade. Uh, it has over 50,000 views, which is like pretty fucking respectable for a fan film <laughs> of a book. Um, Laughing Man 4929 on YouTube made a four-part series that's just like supposed to be the Navidson record. There's also an indie band called the Navidson record and their album is called This Is Not For You. And it has songs based on the book. And then I want to talk about the Minotaur thing really quick, just that people also theorize a lot about why the Minotaur stuff is in red and crossed out. Um, Someone on Reddit pitched that it might be autobiographical considering Danieluski's daddy issues. There's a whole part where like Zampano stresses that it is likely that the Minotaur was just the king's son with a birth defect. And like, how like it's this really interesting concept of like paternity and disability and like what happens um to like relationships when you engage with the concept of like yeah like basically eugenics disability 
fatherhood, like all of this stuff. Um, and like, uh, disowning your child because you don't believe in them. And then, so people were like, oh yeah, this is just a coding of Daniel Lewski's daddy issues in House of Leaves because his dad was like work at the post office. Um, I nabbed this quote from the House of Leaves forum. Um, the fact of the matter is that placing a minotaur, whether metaphorically or physically, into Navidson's house would be incongruous with the very nature of the house. The house shifts and changes based on who enters it. So placing a tangible creature in this house violates the very nature of the house. Um, one fun thing about the House of Leaves forum is that it automatically codes the word house to appear in blue. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I feel like the Minotaur, it's like very much like, um, like the Minotaur is the fear that you made along the way. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so true. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know? then I guess the last thing I'll say about this book in terms of like the horror genre and like why we read horror books is that like at the heart of this like deeply layered and cradled depiction of grief is like a good fucking horror movie, right? Like at at the end of it, like Zampano does get into what happens in this hypothetical film, The Navidson Record, and what happens in it is fucking scary, right? Like just a brief overview of what happens to the Navidsons who don't exist is that they move into a house. It is a quarter of an inch too big on the inside. They freak out. There's a mysterious hallway that appears. It's totally black in there. They then explore it. Navidson goes in by himself, discovers that it's like endlessly sort of spawning rooms. He comes back out. He hires people to help him explore this, including Holloway, who is a explorer and his minions. They go in, they like pack shit. They like get ready to go. They find an endless fucking staircase into hell in this house. Like it's just dark in a staircase. There's maybe a monster in it, but the thing is, is like, is it a creature? Is it just the house making noise? We never really like fully encounter the creature. Is the creature madness? Like all of this stuff. Um, Holloway goes crazy and kills people. Um, and then Karen has this like deep fear of like dark enclosed spaces. And at the end of the book, she has to face her fear to rescue her husband. Um, at one point they drop a quarter down the staircase and it takes so long to get there that like, if you use math of like velocity and gravity, um, the quarter would have fallen for a length that is longer than the entire circumference of the earth. Like fuck a diameter. It's the circumference of the earth. It would be falling longer than that. You're dealing with like, I'm sure, Sarah, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say that I found a lot of, like, religiosity in this book. Like, there was yeah. a ton of, like, spiritual gods. That's why I keep you around yeah, for this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, religion. I'm yeah. a heathen, so I need I need somebody to, like, give me some of the, like, any sort of religious themes. I need Yeah, absolutely. Me. That's what I'm here for. Like, there's this whole thing of, like, is the house hell, as you might expect from a horror book? Or is it, in fact, heaven? And is the creature God? Um, is the house God? Like all of these things are like in question and it's incredibly interesting. And if you just like snipped the Navidson record out, and I think this is part of why people make fan films of just the Navidson record is like, if you just took the Navidson record on its own, it would be a fucking good horror book. 
And in, instead, it's sort of like lovingly wrapped in these like intense layers of like, what does it mean to mourn something? What does it mean to like be a broken human in a broken world? And like, that's for me part of sometimes depending on my mood when I was reading this book, I was like, get me away from that fluff. Give me the horror movie. Um, and so like, that's also part of it. All of that is just like mostly my feelings on the book. And I guess that I skipped into like, what did you think? That's like mostly what I thought. What did you think? Um, it's okay. Uh, I just feel like I'm mostly ambivalent Ooh. towards it. <laughs> That's tough. That, you know what? Like hearing Sarah say I'm ambivalent towards a book hurts me more than I hated it. <laughs> I, 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 I've just been thinking about it because I don't want to come off as too much of a hater or like be like, because I don't mind hating things. I didn't hate it. I just, I don't think I liked the transforming the book into a different, like this, the book as object, object or like story as object. I don't think I liked mm. that. I think I would have liked the story so much more if like, I don't mind like the small words on the page or like that, but I like really did not enjoy like turning the book upside down. Like I did not like that. I didn't like footnotes to footnotes to footnotes. Like I just, I don't think I enjoyed that. And maybe that's just because it's such a new thing for me to read in that way that I was just like, I'm not, I'm not into it, you know, not into it like every, but that's why people like it is because it like challenges it. And maybe I just don't want that challenge personally, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> like I just don't want the format of the book necessarily yeah. challenged. Like I think good for Mark Danielewski for doing it. I think good for everyone who really loves that. I, you know, it's funny because I grew up like reading like the Ellen Hopkins books where she did that in like all of her books too. And I really loved that mm -hmm. as a kid too, like in like middle school, but this, I just was not super into it. Like, I don't, I don't know. I can't really name it. I've been trying to think of how I could say it once we got onto the podcast to discuss it. And I just don't really have thoughts about that. I think that I went into it really wanting to be afraid and I wasn't very afraid and I thought it was almost too precious for me in a way I don't know if that makes sense like I thought like that story and the content and everything like I liked that but I felt that for me the formatting took away mm. from it the formatting took me out of being engaged with the story which is not the uh, the thing that most people say about that, that they feel more engaged because they have to interact. It's like an interactive well, Will Wheaton book, right? said, you need to work for it and people love working for it and you just didn't love it. I don't think I like that. You know, like I, I, you know, I was tweeting while I was reading it. I was like, I think I'm too dumb for this book. And then the, the next day I was like, actually I've changed my mind. I'm just not patient yeah. enough yeah. for this. This is just not, I appreciate like turning a book into a multimedia like experience i appreciate it but i don't think it's necessarily for me um and i don't know like i don't like being feeling closed off about it you know like i've just it's just not necessarily i think for me at the end of the day um and i still can't really name why i didn't like it 
but I think mostly it just made me feel disengaged mm-hmm. with the actual like I really like reading books and like the emotional elements of it and I think that that took mm-hmm. me out of it because I was like turning the book upside down and like turning it sideways where I was like I just want to sit mm-hmm. in the book you know I want to just be in here and let it wash over me which Give is how I read recliner. so right yeah 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 Absolutely. you know so I don't know. I don't know. I felt kind of ambivalent about that. Like some of the stuff was just too precious for me. Like the labyrinth where I'm like getting ping ponged across like never ending footnotes. And I'm like, I get it. I'm in the labyrinth right now. But can I Let read the out. story now? Right. Yeah. <laughs> can I read the book? You know, Point like made. can I read right. the yeah, book? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that's what I felt a lot of the time. I was like, just let me have the story. Let me read. Like I'm like a sponge for a narrative um and it's not even like the frames or anything so i don't know i kind of feel ambivalent like i love the theories on feelings of grief but i also understand that one star review that was like if i wanted to deal with this <laughs> it would talk to my high school ex-boyfriend you know like i don't know so i that's my messy way of saying i don't know how i feel about it i see its value i understand why people appreciate it but it's not nece- and it, that's not even me hedging yeah. it's just like it is just, what it is you right. know i think What's interesting to me is, like, there were moments that I definitely felt like that. Like, when I talked about, like, looking at the footnotes in advance to be like, do I actually need to stop reading the thing that's interesting me to go and look at you? Like, that was a pain. I didn't enjoy it. But there were definitely some moments of sign iconography that I was like, this is working for me. Okay, so a good example of this is the footnote in a blue box, right? So it's that one that we were talking about earlier that like mirror images itself on the next page. So I, right, the word house is always in blue. We're talking about spatial stuff, the science of space, the philosophy of space when this happens. And we have already started descending the staircase. And so the first page that that blue box shows up with the footnote in it, I named it. I named it the house note. Instead of a footnote, I was like, oh, this is the house note because the house is containing this footnote and that's what that blue box denotes. Then I flipped the page and I saw the mirror image thing and said, ha ha, oh fuck. I wrote it at the top of the page. I was like, ha ha, oh fuck. Like, this is intense. And then, you know, it keeps going for a couple pages and I wrote again at the top of another page. This is the other thing is that this book is set up so you can write notes in them in the margins. You know, like it's ready to go. And I wrote house notes denote depth, contain what the house lacks. You feel like you're ascending or descending that fucking staircase. And so like there were moments that I was like, wow, this sign iconography is like really getting me. And like, I feel it. And then there were other moments that I was like, leave me the fuck alone. What happened to Tom? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, definitely. I think like I really the 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 ones with the where the words like are are doing it more. I think that I liked like like when they're going down into the stairs and it's like the the words are like down 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 like falling down the page. Like I like that. I'm like okay, I'm ready yeah. for that. You know, but the box the the boxes and the mirrored and the I'm like okay. Um, let's let's go let's move it a lot yeah it's like too it's too precious for me i'm like i get it okay so we're gonna introduce a new segment if you're ready (laughs) yes i am Um, i'm ready 
did this book make Sarah scared at night? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so the first night I was reading it, like, a little, because I read, like, the first, like, 20 pages and then went to sleep. And it was uh, Johnny being like, this book is going to kill you, basically, at the beginning. And that, Mm -hmm. I was like, ooh, you know, like, that setup got me a little spooked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fun fact, yeah. I was talking to my sister about this book and she said that she had to stop reading it because <laughs> she, it made her feel physically ill. Oh my God. And I was like, what? <laughs> right. Right. Like that's like, such she, a different experience. I know. Yours. I know. I was like, huh? Uh, I was <laughs> like, yeah, I didn't love it because a lot of the time I was bored and not afraid. <laughs> Um, so no, it did not scare me at nighttime. Um, it did make me mad at nighttime when I was very politely trying to read next to Sam while he's asleep and I'm like throwing the book, trying to turn it around and stuff. So, (laughs) right. Yeah. Yeah. Annoyed at night, but not scared. So uh, the reason why I think this is our great new segment is because I think my ultimate problem with horror books is I don't get that afraid of them. And then I'm like, well, what was the point? So we have to just see if I'm afraid at nighttime. That is like my gauge as whether the horror elements did their job for did me. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Anything else to say about House of Elise? Um, no, I don't think so. Great. Me neither. Okay. What, what are you reading now? So I am reading on a completely different note. I am mm. reading Martin Scorsese, A Journey by <laughs> Mary Pat Kelly. <laughs> go off queen what are you reading right now oh boy this is embarrassing i'm reading iron flame (laughs) which is the sequel to fourth wing i've been hearing that people are not feeling really liking the second one it's horny i'll tell you that much it's it's sexuel um which is sarah's favorite as we all know i don't care i don't care if it's sexy i just (laughs) I have room for one bad, good, bad book series in my life, and And it's it's a Court of Thorns. Yes. So it's filled. It's filled up. Yeah. My slot has also been filled by Fourth Wing. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm an unabashed fan. I'm, I'm not even going to pretend that I'm ashamed. I just, it's, it's, it is what it is. You know, it's like every once in a while you need a Mary Sue to get you through the cold, lonely nights. Yeah. That's what I've got. Um. (laughs) I also just finished a book that was serious literature called The Venomous Lump Sucker, and that book slapped, but Sarah would hate it um, because it's about climate change and it doesn't provide any answers. So right, 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 it's right, all right. over. I don't need to feel itchy. <laughs> no, you're good. Let's prevent itchiness. Um, okay. So for those of you who are joining us again, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're going to briefly explain our little game called Where Did You Get Your Book? Um, Sarah and I are both librarians, as you know. So um, we have, and we're also both very competitive. So we have (laughs) designed a point system. Um, If you get your book at the library, you get a point because it's good for libraries. It's healthy for libraries. You support your library by checking out books. We also love indie bookstores because God bless and keep them, you know? Um, So if you get your book in an indie, you get half a point. If you get your book at a major book retailer, such as Barnes & Noble, Target, or Walmart, you get zero points. 
But if you got it on Amazon, fuck you. And you get negative two points. <laughs> um, last season, someone won. No, we tied. Oh, we tied. Oh my God. <laughs> we tied. Perfect. Okay. So last season we tied because we're perfect. Um, but we're starting over this season at zero, zero. Um, Sarah, where did you get your book? I got mine from the indie bookstore. Okay. Uh, it was the, our copy from the library was actually lost. Whoa. So was someone unab- kept that shit. Right. Un- un- unable to retrieve it from there. Mm-hmm. Did not have enough time to order a new one. All of the copies from the public library were all in use. So I had to go and buy the book. Okay. From the local bookstore. What about you, Teddy? Well, as we you discussed. You don't know where you're I don't from. know where it came from. And it just appeared. And I think I should get one quarter of a point for creepiness. Okay. Yeah. You have it. You have it. <laughs> I get one quarter of a point because it's thematically fitting that this book just showed up in my bookshelf. <laughs> so funny. Turns out it's like Wynn's book or something. Oh my God. No, I, it must be mine. He had no idea this book existed and I did. So surely I acquired it along the way somewhere. But like the fact that I can't remember is like actually truly creepy. Um, so Sarah, if somebody said, I really enjoyed House of Leaves, what should I read next what would you tell them um so i actually i picked a book that was not a horror book for a recommendation um i went off of like my liking of the book which was the interested in the grief and perhaps psychosis um so i would recommend it's a very short book it was published i think by ak books which is like a very indie book sell like book publisher company they do a lot of anarchist books um and it is primal screamer by nick blinko it's very short but it's basically a therapist um writing down notes from talking to a young man who's going like through a like psychotic break basically um and it has very similar like i would say gothic elements to house of leaves and has similar like Johnny Truant vibes for our main character the whole time. So that, and then I actually picked a TV show recommendation um, because um, I don't know if you ever watched the show, Teddy, um, uh, called Archive 81, which is also based off of a podcast. Uh, I believe it's the same name. Uh, Archive 81 is a found footage horror show that was on Netflix. It came out a couple years ago. Um, I, it has a very similar vibe. And interestingly enough, my sister actually worked on that show. Um, and she read, I was thinking about archive 81 while I was reading this book and I was texting her and she, the reason why she picked up house of leaves is that she wanted to She's an editor. She was reading House of Leaves to get inspiration for like her editing style, Whoa. editing that show. So okay. I was like, well, t- at least two people have had this thought. So therefore, I'm going to recommend that TV show. Um, it's a great horror show. It has like some of the liminal space stuff going on, found footage stuff, and multiple frame stories going on. So nice. Um, we don't have a House of Leaves TV show, but maybe this would be like a in the same family to kind of satisfy that scratch for that. I love that. Teddy, what about you? Well, I have a lot of thoughts. If we're doing other media, then you need to watch the Blair Witch Project. 
yeah, obviously. I mean, that's like the ultimate found footage. Right. Which I forgot to tell you, the thing is, is that my sister, when we were, my sister's older than me. She's getting lots of shout outs this, this episode. I know. What's up? Shout out to Amelia. Um, She does not listen to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, She's my older sister and she, uh, she <laughs> went into our basement when we were kids, took our family copy of the Blair Witch Project out of its case, went into the basement, had me come into the basement with her and said, hey, look at this videotape I just found. Should we go upstairs and watch it? And so we went into my parents' room, popped mm. the VHS tape in, and she was like, I don't know what this is. We There was the website written on like the videotape like plastic, and she was like, let's go look at the website beforehand. And then we went to the website, and then we watched it, and we popped it in. I was in full sobbing tears by the end because i was i think nine sobbing inconsolable like just completely a wreck and i was like this means witches are real like i'm never going outside of the house ever again sister looks at me dead eyes in the face and goes this is obviously fake it's a movie what are you stupid she got you good that's wild. Okay. Fuck, Amelia. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mine is like the worst version of that. Like, I just sat down a friend and was like, this is, we should watch this documentary. <laughs> like, I, Amelia did it so much better than I did. That's insane. Yeah. Um, also, love that she grew up and was like, I'm having a career in film and media thanks so much like that is such a thing to do um bonk okay yeah great yeah. love some childhood trauma for you yeah um let's get into the books that i would recommend because yes, i have thoughts so sorry um if you like creatures and you're like man i wish this creature were more of a thing read annihilation by jeff vandermeer very weird very liminal creatures super there also if you're like oh i love found journal entries annihilation by jeff vandermeer um if you wanted an evil house but you wanted a more defined thing to be afraid of read the haunting of hill house by shirley jackson that's it that's all good that is going to be a recommendation for a lot of books this season yeah. i think or watch that show that show is scary that, that show got me good um if you are like I'm loving this like descent into madness equaling actual world shift. You're going to want to read The Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss. And that thing is short too. Um, yeah. she's I love that book. That book? I love that book. Ooh. That's not like my all-time favorite. And it's about grief. Yeah, it's yeah. one of my all-time favorites too, I think. I, I should go back to that because that book changed my life a little bit. Hashtag maybe. Yeah, um, so get in there. Um, and then my ultimate recommendation. This is like the roughest equivalent I can find. Um, and it is also one of my most beloved books of all time. If you just wanted to, if you were me and you were just like, fucking just give me the Navidson record, fuck you. Read The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher. If you are like, I just wanted a firsthand account of someone figuring out that their house is freaky in a way that implies other dimensions and does not get explained um, in a satisfying way. The Hollow Places. All I will say about that is that it left me with a lasting, to this day enduring, 
fear of Amazonian river otters. <laughs> Get in there. That book was so good. Um, I've never read it. Like T. Kingfisher, I think, is like becoming a name in horror these days. Um, but that was an early work. And I've never read anything by them that like got me in the same way. Get got. Well, we'll see. La- we'll see later this season. Oh my god, that's so true. Right, we are yeah. reading Tea King for sure um, later this season as well. But the Hollow Places rock my socks. Um, yeah. So those are all my recommendations. That's all I got. Great. Okay. Well, in two weeks we will be reading Nothing But Blackened Teeth by Cassandra Kaw for our next book um that book is i think under 150 pages much different than the 700 page house of leaves so in two weeks we'll be reading that so please join us for that episode um and on social media you can find us at at shelving cart on instagram twitter youtube tumblr and tiktok and our email is at is shelving cart at gmail.com thanks for listening bye bye One, two, three, four, shelving cart, shelving cart, shelving cart, with Sarah and Teddy, shelving cart, shelving cart, shelving cart, with Sarah and Teddy, hey! Thank you for listening to Shelving Cart. Shelving Cart was created, written, and recorded by Sarah and Teddy, edited by Sarah, and the theme music is by Kate Gardine. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please rate and review us on any of your podcast listening apps. We greatly appreciate it.